We are in week six. This is the last of our church series. And like Brian shared, we're going to be starting our generosity series next week. Uh, but over the last five weeks, we've gotten the chance to really dive into what the church is and how we're called to live and operate. And we've shared some nuances with how we feel like God's called us as a church to operate. But big picture, if you guys have been with us, we started week one. Anybody, can you remember what we started with when talking about the church? Anybody, week one. The church, that, uh, that's perfect. Who's the church? Who, who's the most important piece to the church? Jesus, good. Week two, we talked about uh, how the church is kind of there. We've got the global church and we've got a local church where we gather together and we scatter together and uh, there is a local expression of the church. Week three, we talked about eldership and we talked about how God has given elders to the church. They are far from perfect, uh, but they are people who lead sacrificially lead out of love, ultimately who are shepherds, and to love the church like a father loves his kids. Father who protects, loves well, sacrifices well, so on and so forth. And God gave, uh, gave elders to the church to help lead, guide, and protect. The fourth week uh, we talked about, was that the fourth? Yeah, fourth week we talked about members, what it looks like to be members one of another. And what was so beautiful was what we just got to do right there, and I promise you that was not planned. Uh, but we got to demonstrate that just a minute ago, being members one of another. We also got to demonstrate a little bit of what we did in week five was the gifts, utilizing our gifts. And some of you maybe had words, and some of you were just serving by praying over one another. So we got to use both spiritual gifts and our grace gifts in serving each other. We talked at great length, and I hope you, as we've talked about the church, I hope you stop thinking about an institution and you really start thinking about a people. I really hope that when the first thing we think about a church, it isn't a building with a, a cross on top and the sun setting behind it, but that it's actually people's faces, ones that you know. When you think of the church, Ben's face pops up, or Amber's face pops up, or Angelica's face pops up, or Preston's, or Kristen's face pops up, because the church is not an institution, it's a people. People gathered together in the name of Jesus. We talked about how foundational it is that we are part of one another. And again, last week we talked a little bit about the gifts, grace gifts and spiritual gifts and how they're used to edify and build up the church and how we need them. The gifts are never the point. Jesus always is. But we want to use those to help encourage, build up, and strengthen one another. It really is an incredible story to think about how God has shaped his redemptive story. He creates the world. He gives freedom. Mankind chooses sin and rebellion. And right after that happens in Genesis 3, God actually promises that he's going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. God promises grace and redemption for all who turn to him and judgment and condemnation for all who choose their own way. And God's grace is given through Jesus, the Messiah. As God enters humanity, lives a perfect, sinless life, and announces the kingdom of God, and then dies, bearing the sins of the world on his perfect body. Jesus, his body is beaten for us. Blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And God the Father raises Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death. And in the resurrection, Jesus becomes the picture of redemption and salvation. And eternal life is now available to all who put their faith in Jesus. 
And as Jesus prepares to ascend into heaven, he commissions his disciples to go out and carry his name to the world. Make disciples, bear witnesses, tell the world. As we see in John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the disciples receive the Holy Spirit and begin the journey of telling the world of Jesus and his kingdom. And that's where we're at today. We are in the era of announcing the kingdom of God to every corner of the earth. We are filled by Holy Spirit and sent into the world to announce Jesus and invite people to experience his salvation, redemption, and sanctification. Jesus changed lives 2,000 years ago and is still changing lives and eternities today. Amen? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us on our own to figure things out. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And he gave us scriptures and gives us his church to carry out his purposes on earth. And we are here to continue Jesus' incarnation. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Alan Hirsch say about this. The church, and this should be behind me as well, the church is the form of Christ in the world. Jesus himself is thus indelibly imprinted upon the whole people of God. Jesus fleshed out what God is like. Now it's our responsibility to flesh out what Jesus is like. We must not try dodging the very concrete implications of the imagery. We do not merely represent Jesus. In some real way, we are meant to actually embody or incarnate him. It's a combination of quote from Alan Hirsch and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And ultimately, as a church, this is what we want to do to the best of our ability, is to reflect Jesus most clearly to the world. Jesus articulated that through the unity of the brothers and sisters, the church, that he would be seen. And today we're going to talk about what kind of church best reflects Jesus and his fullness. And for that, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. So go ahead and open up your Bibles together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. If you've got your Bible with you or if you've got an online version, I invite you to highlight all of Ephesians 4. If you were with us when we went through our Rooted series, we spent and went in depth in a lot of these areas. I invite you to go back and take a listen. But this morning, we're specifically going to be looking at these first 16 verses. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Attain we all until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to teach us. Thank you for your presence already. Uh, and we just we want to offer ourselves to you. Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you use me? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, um, uh, we would be aware this morning of how you are uniquely wiring us. Different lenses or traits or not so that we might boast ourselves up, but that we might be more aware of how we might bless and contribute to the body of Christ for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so this is an amazing portion of Scripture. We are not going to dive into every single nuance within this text this morning. Uh, we are going to really settle in kind of in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, as we look at the gifts that are given by Jesus. But it is important that we have a good understanding of kind of the overall flow and the thought of what's happening. And so the goal in this section is to call, especially in verses 1 through 6, is to call on individuals to live out their faith in a way that leads to the maturity of the church, ultimately growing up into the head, which is Jesus. We see this in verses 13 through 17. The goal is to grow up into the head, is to grow up to be like Jesus, that we become mature, and the way we are mature, or what it looks like when we are mature, is we look like Jesus. So that's the goal, and the goal is assisted by the gifts that were given to the church by Jesus, as we see in verses 7 through 12. So, and as we get into our time, it's going to be helpful for us to operate on some common definition when it comes to the gifts listed out in Ephesians 4. 11. Many of you have probably come from different traditions that may have different uh, understandings of these five, and so it's important that we together come to a common understanding of what we're talking about, uh, or else you might think we're talking about something different. Just to be candid and honest with you, the tradition I grew up in uh, did not believe in uh, the, at least two of these gifts, an apostolic gift and a prophetic gift, um, and they didn't really... Well, we can talk about it later. But they didn't really also, it seemed as though they didn't really uh, embrace the evangelistic either. Uh, but we'll talk more about these. What it did really embrace was especially the teacher and then sort of in a lesser degree, a shepherd as well. Um, but all that I'm trying to do is just say that many of you come from different backgrounds. Many of us come from different backgrounds and experiences when this, if, with this conversation around these five gifts given to the church. However, what we're trying to do today is trying to be relatively simple and also try not make excuses for the text. Honestly, the way the people that I sat under got away from this text is they said that the teacher and shepherd replaced the apostle and the prophet. And I love the people that I grew up under. The problem is I think that's just extremely unbiblical. I don't think there is a way that you can do that without doing a lot of scriptural gymnastics. So our hope this morning is to dive in and say, if Jesus is giving us these five gifts, these five roles, these five traits, and they're important, 
let's figure out what they are. So we're going to start with some common definitions. And I've got them on the screen. If you want these yourself, uh, feel free to email me, kevin at anthemchurch.org, and I will, I'll email these to you. So if you're a note taker, some of these are long. You may not be able to write them all. But let's start with apostle. Also, uh, just in case you're wondering, every now and again, we refer to these gifts as APEST. That's an acronym for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and Teacher. So, this first section, apostle or apostolic. In Greek, the term apostle literally means sent one, as the name itself suggests. It is the quintessentially missional ministry. Interesting, the French translation of the term apostle, envoy, picks up the sense of commission much better than the English transliteration. An apostle is an envoy. It is very much a pioneering function of the church. The capacity to extend Christianity as a healthy, integrated, innovative, reproducing movement, ever expanding into new cultures. It also is a custodial ministry, a guardianship. The ministry is also profoundly interested in the ongoing integrity of core ideas, DNA, organizational principles, or meta-ideas that generate and maintain systemic health across the organization. For clarity's sake, as we're talking about apostle, uh, and for some of you this makes sense, and for others this won't, so hopefully it won't be confusing, but some people will not like talking about what apostle or apostolic ministry looks like because they think that we're talking about like a capital A apostle, like Paul or one of the 12. We are not talking about apostolic ministry in that same sense. This is different. This is a lowercase a apostolic ministry that we're talking about. And if that makes no sense to you, just that's only going to make sense to people with baggage. So you can l- let, it, let it go. But I feel like for those that's coming, that's the type of baggage I would bring into this. And so if that makes sense to you, take it. Uh, or you can ask me questions about it later. Let's move on to prophet or prophetic. This is the function at, tasked with maintaining and abiding loyalty and faithfulness to God above all. Essentially, prophets are guardians of the covenant relationship that God has made with his people. The prophetic is also passionately concerned with living a life morally consistent with the covenant, a simple and authentic life of justice, holiness, and righteousness. The prophet claims God's holiness and calls for a corresponding holiness in his covenanted people. This is also quite different than what most people think of when they hear the word prophet. Most people think fortune-telling or future-telling. And it's not that that never is included with the prophetic. But this, the role that the prophet plays is one in, that has this thing within them that fights for holy justice and holiness in general and desires to genuinely see the people of God live as the people of God. The evangelist or evangelistic involves the proclamation of the good news that is at the core of the church's message. Evangelism is therefore all about the core message and its reception in the hearts of people and cultures. As such, the evangelist is the storyteller, the all-important recruiter to the cause, the naturally infectious person who is able to enlist people into what God is doing in and through the church. Shepherd or shepherding is the function and calling responsible for maintaining and developing healthy community and enriching relationships. This involves a commitment to form a saintly people, nurture spiritual maturity, maintain communal health, 
defend the community against breakdown, and engender loving community among the redeemed family of God. And teacher, teaching, this is concerned with the mediation and appropriation of wisdom and understanding. This is the naturally philosophical type that brings comprehensive understanding of the revelation bequeathed to the church. You know I didn't write that. I would never use the word bequeathed. It is a guiding and discerning function in the biblical tradition. Emphasis falls on wisdom and not simply speculative philosophy. Teaching, of course, also involves integrating the intellectual and spiritual treasure of the community and encoding it in order to pass it on to others and to the next generation. Okay, so those are the definitions that we want to operate with. Those, by the way, come from a guy named Alan Hirsch who has spent decades uh, unpacking and spending time working on what these gifts are and how they are to be used in the church today. Uh, and if you want to look up the guy, he is a phenomenal dude uh, who has written a crazy amount of works. Uh, but we are going to be quoting him quite a bit in this section and in this morning. And he's got a website, I think, called 5Q um, something uh, that I can get you later if you're interested. Okay, so those are the definitions. And again, this whole series is about Jesus. It, the series is on the church, but the church is built upon Jesus. And one of, why would we even think that we need apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher? And that's because Jesus is the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And if our goal is to become like him, and these are the primary traits in which Jesus holds, these need to become more evident in his church. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Let's look and see how Jesus is our great example for each and every one of these gifts. See, Jesus is the exemplary apostle. Jesus represents the sent and the sending characteristics of God. From the very beginning, God has commissioned humanity <clears throat> into a way of doing life that expresses God in the way of the world. When his redemptive plan comes into full effect, it was through the sending of Jesus into the world. Jesus came as a sent one, took upon flesh. It's part of the incarnation. Not only was Jesus sent, we see this and we mentioned it earlier, John 20, 21, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus was sent and he was empowered as an ambassadorial agent that was acting on behalf of the sending ruler. He came into this world and established the foundations on which the church would be built. Now such he is the rock, the cornerstone the chief foundation layer, and the foundation himself. And again, this is how this series started. Jesus is at the center of this all. We get Jesus wrong, we get the church wrong. But not only is he the sent one, he is the great sender as well. As we see in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Not only was Jesus an apostle himself who laid foundations, he also was an apostle who sent out, who gave his best away. He organized the movement of his disciples that would multiply for generations. And he performed the functions of an apostle perfectly. Perfectly. 
Jesus being sent by the Father to fulfill his mission and the, is the first and fullest picture of an apostle sent by God. So Jesus is the exemplary apostle. He's also the exemplary prophet. Jesus is frequently referenced as a prophet, and he performs the role perfectly. From the predictive function of calling for his own death and resurrection, or seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree in John 1, 43 through 51, or predicting the fall of Jerusalem and calling Israel to repent, Jesus perfectly occupied the role of prophet, carrying the heart of God and communicating God's holiness to the people. But in addition to those functions, Jesus defends and seals the covenant relationship with the Father. He calls Israel to the law but ultimately reveals the law and its shortcoming by going to the cross and sealing the new covenant with his blood. In Jesus, the medium is the message. He is the word of God in the flesh, the faithful one, God's new covenant, calling people to return to God, to live righteously, and render worship to God alone. Jesus is our exemplary prophet. He's also our exemplary evangelist. Jesus proclaimed the gospel, the evangelion of the kingdom. This was, of course, a key component of his ministry, one that was highlighted substantially as we worked our way through Matthew a year and a half ago. In addition to being the good news, Jesus exemplified the winsomeness of the kingdom of God. He was sought out by Jews and Gentiles alike. He quickly became a folk hero of for, for many folks to come to him because of his healing and compassion ministries. Crowds of thousands traveled near and far on foot to hear him teach, to be ministered to. And Jesus, as the great evangelist, he reached out to the poor. He reached out to the rich. He reached out to the broken. He reached out to the Jew. He reached out to the Gentile. He reached out to the bleeding woman. He reached out to the adulterous woman. He reached out to the whole spectrum He had no bias, for he came to seek and save that which was lost. He is the exemplary evangelist. Side note here, um, when we're talking about evangelists or evangelism, there's a lot of people who think they're evangelists. The problem is, uh, especially non-Christians, don't agree with them. Uh, Meaning, not that they don't agree uh, with the gospel, they just don't like the person. Uh, a lot of people think they have the gift of evangelism or that they're evangelists and they just get out and they rub people the wrong way. And Jesus did rub people the wrong way sometimes. But big picture, Jesus drew people to himself. People wanted to be around him. He wasn't a turd on a street corner. And I'm not saying we should never be on a street corner. He just wasn't a turd. And it's just really important. A lot of people, especially evangelists, they are so passionate about people coming to know Jesus that they share about it in such an offensive way that it makes it difficult for people to hear. So just because you're passionate about people coming to know Jesus may not mean that you actually are gifted in evangelism. When it comes to evangelism, one of the ways in which we see the gift is the fruit. But when it comes to Jesus being the exemplary evangelist, Jesus, there was something magnetic about him where people who were pretty, ugly, poor, and rich, they needed to find out more. Jesus himself knew that he was the linchpin of the message. 
And he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's the exemplary evangelist. He's also the exemplary shepherd. Jesus in John 10 is referred to as the great shepherd, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the ultimate pastor shepherd. He oversees, protects, leads, and comforts. He's healer, compassionate, and a reconciler of a broken world. A few months ago, we had Terry Fouché come out to our staff retreat and lead us through some devotions. And one of the things he did was he led us through um, Psalm 23. <clears throat> and that psalm is, is beautiful. And what Terry did really well is he took us to John 10 first, and then he took us to John 23 and helped just put a little bit more flesh on, John, on Psalm 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Instead of using shepherd as like this loose term, with John 10, we actually get to reinterpret Psalm 23, and we actually know the shepherd's name. The shepherd's name is Jesus. Jesus is my shepherd, and I don't need anybody else. He leads me. Jesus, my shepherd, my my pastor, my, Jesus, he leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus is with me even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Jesus is the exemplary shepherd. It's Jesus' heart as a shepherd that breaks for those Far from God. I love this verse in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Not pity, he had compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And right after that moment, Jesus goes on to pray. He says, but the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord would release laborers into the harvest. Jesus, as a great shepherd, is motivated by compassion. And his heart breaks for those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus leads through humble service and faithful obedience. He is always with and among his people. He is the perfect shepherd. Jesus is the exemplary teacher. In addition to calling himself the way, Jesus calls himself the truth. He is the very word of God, the logos. Jesus teaches the law, reinterprets the law, amplifies the law. He reveals truth about God and teaches in a way that engages the culture, understands the times, and brings truth into the context. Jesus' teaching was not theoretical, but entirely applicable. Jesus is the great rabbi, teacher. We see these moments like, He's teaching on the hill or the plain, and there's over ten, five, there's 5,000 plus. They just counted the men, but if you add the women and children, it's probably close to 10,000 people who are there to listen to Jesus teach, to explain what the kingdom of God is like. You have the Sermon on the Mount, which is exactly that, a sermon, and one of the most beautiful sermons you'll ever read or hear. Jesus is the perfect teacher. And Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfills all five of these roles. 
There's no human being on the face of the planet that has all five of these roles like Jesus does. And yet these gifts are given so the church can best reflect Jesus to the world. But we read in Ephesians 4, when he ascended in his grace, he gave gifts to mankind, man, male, and female. Notice none of these gifts are specified from a gender perspective. As Jesus ascended into heaven, he distributed to his church gifts that would help the church accurately and adequately represent his fullness. Paul prays in Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in chapter 4, he immediately goes into talking about how the church can grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's the grace of Jesus that motivated him to give these gifts. And ultimately, it is the grace of Jesus that allows us to represent Jesus to the world. Why would we talk about these gifts? Why do we want to see these gifts present? Because we want to reflect Jesus to this world and to one another. That's the goal of the church. There is some challenge with that. If you've been tracking with us through this series, we believe the church is the collection of a bunch of broken people that have been redeemed by Jesus and filled by his spirit. So what do we do now? Here's another quote that should be behind so now we work together to live Jesus to each other and to the world. Because each function, calling, contributes something to the body that the others do not. They mutually enrich each other. They are not to be sundered apart. In other words, the church always needs to experience itself as a sent or apostle, the prime agent to God's ongoing mission in the world. The church should always attend to God and his concerns, prophet, should always share the story and invite people into a living relationship, evangelist. Should always maintain and develop healthy community, shepherd. And should always be rich in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. All are needed in every time and in every place. If we're going to be a church that wants to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to minister like Jesus, and to multiply like Jesus, we have to understand how he gifted his church to grow to maturity. We need all of Jesus to become like him. And so Jesus gives gifts. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers for a reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we attain unity and knowledge. Growing to maturity and the measure of stature, the fullness of Christ. Unlike children tossed about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning. Rather, we are to grow up in every way to be like Jesus. And I don't believe Jesus gave these gifts so that people could squabble over titles, positions, being recognized. We don't believe that at all. The goal is not the gift. The goal is Jesus. But we do believe that these can be leadership positions. But in our understanding, there are also components that are needed to grow the church to true maturity. In other words, we need a sense multiplying component, an apostolic story. We need a voice of God called to holiness, expressing God's heart component, a prophetic story. We need a pursuit of the lost, heart for the broken, boldly proclaiming the word of truth component, which is a prophetic story, excuse me, an evangelistic story. 
We need a nurturing, caring, compassionate, exhorting component, a shepherding story. And we need a faithful knowledge, a deeper understanding of truth and how it changes lives and the world component. We need a teaching story. Our friend Chris Vinon, he, he helps explain this by using a freeway imagery. And it's, it's, it's rather simple. Uh, how can a, a group of people get to a, another space quicker? Can they get there faster on a single lane, a two lane, a three lane, four lane, or a five lane highway? Five, thanks. I just got back from Mammoth this week. In, within the last 15 years or so, Praise the Lord, the 395 got a little bit of a facelift. It used to be a single-lane highway for 200 miles. And a lot, as Mammoth got more popular, I don't think very many more people were going to Lone Pine, but there were a lot of people going up to Mammoth. And, man, things got super congested because we were just operating on a single pathway going up. And sometimes you would get stuck behind an RV, or if there was an accident, there was no way around. You could be stuck for hours and hours and hours. Good news, though, is though eventually you're still going to get to your destination. But guess what? As another lane was added, now we got to drive a little bit faster, depending upon your convictions. Uh, and, and you got to drive a little bit faster, and we're able to get to Mammoth a little bit quicker. Again, even with a single lane, the good news is even in the single lane, we could still get to Mammoth, which is great. But could it be possible that there's a desire and a design potentially for more lanes to be opened so that we could get to where we're going more effectively and potentially quicker. Maybe not always quicker. Sometimes there's that big old, like, you know, big rig that falls over and dumps oil or whatever. And the analogies all break down at some point. But the picture is still the same. If we were to look at this like a five lane highway, where there's a lane for the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. All of a sudden, there, are, there is a greater pathway, still headed in the same direction, with greater opportunity, no matter how you're wired, to fit, to belong, and be a part of where God is taking us. Why are we talking about the Ephesians 4 gifts? Because these are the traits that are marked by who Jesus is. These traits are manifested in Jesus and as the church, we are called to show the world what Jesus is like. Which means that these traits, if we're sons and daughters of the king, these are hereditary. These are passed down to his sons and his daughters. And they're all necessary for the church to grow healthily and to fulfill our mission. <coughs> so, what do we do with a message like this? I already shared with you guys this, <clears throat> especially in the area of a, apostle and, and prophet, these are, these are relatively new terms for me, for Matt, for our elder team, because we grew up very uncomfortable and scared of these terms because we thought that they were something that they're not. We thought that they were potentially opportunities for people to write new scripture, to be authoritarian, and to also start saying things that may contradict scripture. And we operated out of fear rather than love, and I think an honest look of what te the text is actually saying. When we talk about these five gifts, we're not as much concerned with, 
okay, who are we going to label as our apostle? Who are we going to label as our prophet? Who are we going to label as our evangelist? Who are we going to label as our shepherd? And who are we going to label as our teacher? I want you to know that our leadership, we're less concerned with the labor, labor, label, and we're more concerned with the traits. The traits are what are necessary. The traits are what Jesus is wanting to make sure are represented in the church. Now, over time, is it possible that people will begin to arise and it's going to become evident that, whoa, they're a shepherd. Like, that's part of who, that, they're a shepherd. Or, wow, like they cannot stop talking about how important it is for us to grow in our holiness and become more like Jesus. Or they can't help stop talking about us staying connected or they can't help stop defending the covenant. Whoa, maybe they're prophets. Or man, they can't stop talking to me about planting another church. They can't stop talking about how we're going to move forward. They can't stop talking about dreaming about how God is going to continue to shape and move around the world. Maybe they're apostles. Or maybe somebody comes and keeps talking to you about, man, people just don't feel known. People don't feel cared for. Man, I just, I just have this huge burden. I want people to feel like they are known and loved. Well, maybe they're shepherd. Or maybe somebody's up here, man, we need somebody to come and teach us more Greek, more Hebrew, and man, they need to teach us the ins and outs of what's going on, every single little nuance. I want them to start parsing for us. I want all, or maybe you just love to study, whatever. Man, maybe you're wired as a teacher. I want you guys to know something very clearly, and that's that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have some of his traits. You are not going to be apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, and evangelist. But I almost guarantee you that each and every one of you, there is something in your heart that goes, boop, when I start talking about one of them. For some of you, it might be way, it might be like, Rah! like there's something that's like barking out of you, like that's you. Because if you thought you got to hear this message, be like, we're just talking about leaders, people, it's not me, whatever. No, every single follower of Jesus, I'm convinced of this, every single follower of Jesus is going to have a propensity towards apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, and evangelist. Whether or not that's a tradition you grew up with or not, I don't know. But it's not the one that I grew up with. But I believe that there is, because you are a son or a daughter of the king, his traits are in you. And which one, I want to know. Which one of those traits makes your heart go, Poof. Which one of those traits just make you want to do something? If you're like, man, I, I have no idea. Maybe this is the first time you're having a conversation like this. Man, I, I invite you to talk to your community group. Or talk to some friends around you that know you. One of the things about growing and an understanding of what our gifting might be is you cannot do it in isolation. This is where danger happens. This is where problems arise. When somebody declares themselves an apostle, that's me. Follow me. Nobody ever gets to claim themselves to be an apostle. The friends around you are going to affirm the gifting that God has given you. Most of the wacky folks out there who claim things like that, nobody knows them well enough to say yes or no. This is why members one of another is so critically important. The other thing is, there's some of us who might have a little bit of the American Idol thing in us. 
where it's like your parents have told you all along that you're good at singing, and then you get up and sing, and you're actually terrible. We, we need community. I'm not sure. I've had people come up, I think I'm gifted in teaching, and then I invite, and like I let them teach, and I'm, mm-mm. It's, not, it's just not true. Everybody wants to be gifted in teaching or music. And these, some of, that's awesome. Those are, these are great things. But man, we need so much more than that. We need so much more than that. Which one of these things makes your heart leap? Because as a church, we want to do our best to try and operate down that five-lane highway. And it's going to take work. And to be honest, I think the church, at least in my history in the last 30 years, um, <coughs> Man, we've done a pretty poor job at operating in the five lanes. We've done a really good job at operating in the teaching lane. We've probably elevated the teaching lane above everything else. In fact, that's how people get away of talking about the prophet, evangelist. Not really. It's the prophet and apostles. They say that the teacher actually replaces the apostle and the prophet, which is pretty sad. I understand how people get there, but it's pretty sad. Because it's two major traits of Jesus that now are not being highlighted, valued, and actually modeled. And so if you feel like you fit down an apostolic lane, or evangelistic lane, or a teaching lane, or a prophetic lane, or a shepherding lane, whatever it is, I want you to know that you belong here and we need you. One of the most challenging things, especially for evangelists and prophets, is they generally don't get along with a lot of people well. Because they think that their gift matters the most. Which isn't a gifting problem, it's just a human nature problem. Most of you guys, if you know me pretty well, what would you say? Where do I fit in this category? Shepherd. Right? What do you think I'm going to tend to value really highly? I want you guys to feel loved and known. Guys, we need a prophetic voice that's going to come up and be like, you guys are being knuckleheads. We are avoiding the holiness of God. We are not repenting. We are not clinging to Jesus above all things. We need that. And I'm not the only one that's, I'm not a, that's not my lane. Doesn't mean I ignore that. But we've got to power that. Those of you guys who know Matt Larson, what, what category might Matt Larson fall under? Teaching or? Apostolic. Matt is actually apostolic. He's not an apostle. Nobody freak out. Just kidding. But Matt's, nothing gets Matt more excited than talking about the next thing, about planting the next church, about, about seeing new people come to know Jesus. He's not the evangelist and the one that's going to go out and share it, but he's the one that's going to stir people towards that. Bert Alcorn is actually more gifted on the teaching side of things. If you guys know John Marshall, John Marshall is really gifted on the teaching side of things. These are people who kind of eat, breathe, sleep, love to teach. And just to be clear, and just if you guys are looking for somebody who eats, breathes, loves, sleeps, teach, guess what? That's not me. That's not me. By God's grace, He's gifted me to teach, but I teach as a shepherd. That's the lens I see things through. And so, some of you, if you're frustrated at points, you're like, "Man, I just want, want a little." You should want a little bit more, because I'm not always going to teach in the way that a teacher teacher would teach. But I want you to know that as shepherd and as lead pastor here, as an elder pastor here, we want to see all five of these lanes operating in. We want to see these gifts raised up and people flourishing in them. So which one makes you tick? Talk to your community group about it. If you're looking, if you're like, I have no idea, 
if, you have, if, you, if you have no idea, then uh, there's actually a really good resource. Email me, kevin at anthemchurch.org. I'll give you the link. Uh, you can go take a test. I'm not generally a big test taker person, but take a test, and then you can actually share it with those around you, okay? Uh, again, we do not choose or highlight our gifting alone. They've got to be affirmed by other people. Just as I asked what I am, there was a crowd of people that said a shepherd. I don't get to dictate that I'm the shepherd, okay? We take that to each other. All right, this is going long. I'm sorry, worship team, come up. Why do we care about these gifts? Because Jesus is the point. Because Jesus is what matters the most. Jesus is the goal. Being a prophet, being a shepherd, being a teacher, being an apostle, being an evangelist, this is not the point. These are not the goal. These are tools to help us reflect who and what Jesus is like. And it's important for you guys to understand how you're wired. Because you are uniquely and wonderfully made by Jesus. And you're made to contribute to his body. We started this series focusing on Jesus. We're ending focusing on Jesus. We want to show this world who and what Jesus is like. So we must fix our eyes upon him. If you don't know what one of these things you're bent towards, I don't care yet. <laughs> I want you eventually to, to move into this space where you kind of see what lay, how God's wired you. But if you're not sure, you cannot go wrong with fixing your eyes upon Jesus. Focusing in on who Jesus is, his love for you, and growing in your obedience to him through his word. As you do, watch. God is going to start making your heart go, whom, whom. As certain things happen. Final, final, for those of you who call Anthem home, I legitimately want to hear from you. Of these lanes, where are we lacking the most? Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, teaching. What's lacking? Please, would you email me or one of our elders? We legitimately want to hear from you. We want you to think critically about this. You guys... We want to know what do you think is missing in our community? What do you think we need to grow in? Because we do. We believe as we start to live these traits out, we will actually show each other and this world what Jesus is like more. All right, the end. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Father, I pray right now for all of my friends, Lord, that you would be uh, stirring in our heart, one, a desire to make you more known to one another and to our community. Father, I ask that you would also help us trust your word, that to trust that you did give apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, evangelists, that you gave all of them to help equip the body. And Lord, that these traits, we pray that these traits would be visible in us, not so that we might proclaim, hey, we got it, but so that we might together more effectively reflect you to one another and to the community. Jesus, we pray you be glorified in our lives. Continue to work as we respond now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.